I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Camille Riviera on the show today, a new wine importer uh, on the New York scene, bringing in the wines of France. Camille, thanks for taking the time to visit us. Merci, Lévy. Thank you for inviting me. Why don't you tell me uh, a little bit about what you're up to these days? I know uh, you recently started your own company. Uh, let's hear more about it. Uh, well, I started my small import company in uh, January, and um, so it's been seven months. Okay. And um, so far, really fun. People are liking the wine, receiving them well. And the way I'm based, I live in France. I used to live in New York for seven years. I moved here when I was 23 or 24. And um, I just decided after seven years in New York, I had learned what I could learn. And I had done most of what I could get out of the city. And I just wanted to go back to France, get closer to the vineyards, uh, learn, understand, seek out, uh, I had done a tremendous amount of work with when I was working at Wildman for five or six years, and I had talked to winemakers, but I wasn't seeing any of the vineyards nor the vines, and it's not the 10-day of vacation you get per year that allows you to do so. And I decided last year in May just to move back to France in 11, 2011. I had not really any clue of what I was going to do, but I knew it was in wine, so I'm uh, moved out of my apartment and uh, flew back to France, spent all the summer in the vineyards, going to all of the trade tastings. I landed when there was um, a Vinicier uh, uh, in Bordeaux. Um, what's that uh, big trade show? Oh, Vin Expo? Oui, Vin Expo. And I did all of the off of uh, Vin Expo. Oh, okay. Uh, so you've got less of the big penguin companies. It's more of the sure. small uh, winemakers and growers. I prefer small penguins myself. I think well, they're cuter. Small penguins are cuter. And um, so voila. And I met some winemakers, uh, decided to go and visit them in their estate and started by the Languedoc. It actually was one of my least favorite regions uh, from what I had tasted because most of the wines I tasted was in the United States. And I was tasting these big alcoholic uh, not very digest wines. Mm -hmm. And I found one of the first winery I found was uh, Le Clofantine in Faugère. I really like that one. Thank you. And it's uh, three brothers and sisters. 
uh, Corinne, Carole, and Olivier, uh, who basically came back to the estate after their father passed away. The father was only selling their grapes to the, the co-op, and they decided to, to bottle the wine. So it was a few rough years for them. They started, I believe, making wine in 97, was their first vintage. And... Um, Voilà. Since then, uh, so that was my first uh, company to bring in, and then I um, I found another winemaker called Mascoutlou, who actually was oh. my teacher in hotel management school in France. Because um, uh, after uh, the lycée, when you have your baccalauréat, I uh, decided to do hotel management school for three years, and uh, he was one of the teachers. And I didn't understand why he would come in every Monday morning with these blue purple hands, but, oh. he, was, uh, but he was always dressed up in a perfect lacroix suit, and uh, and realized that he was making some pretty exceptional wines in Pumisson, just north of Béziers. So I went to visit him, and it was just basically going from and I even visited winemakers that are imported by great wine importers like Savio or Jenny or other. Uh, pretty active importers. By then, I had no clue I was going to import wine. I was just trying to look for things. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll be an agent. I had a wedding in New York in September. So I brought um, nine samples of a few wineries I had found. And um, I talked to an importer, uh, actually two. And they're like, no, Long Duck doesn't sell. Forget it. So I'm, today, I'm actually thanking them because there's a they were the ones to push me to do the import company. It's actually Zev who was telling me, Camille, you should do it yourself. Um, you have your clients, you know the market, and um, you could sell it easily with, on your own. So I did a one day, I set up 13 appointments, pre-sold 70 case. And wow, started, 70. So it started like this. I had great customers that were backing me up, like uh, Jean-Luc Ledoux. Oh, sure. And, uh, and a few others that were really, uh, that made me believe that I really should be doing that. And uh, so I went back to France and started back labels and approvals. It's not very complicated. And uh, first, I think, three pallets landed uh, January 16th in New York, and I flew in on the 17th. And um, off it was to selling the first few pallets. And in two weeks, I sold that. So I reordered four, and it kind of goes like this since then. So you talked a little bit about the difference in the perception here in New York about the Languedoc and then maybe the reality in France. Do you see that happening sometimes where the, it's sort of through a prism and it doesn't quite reflect the same way that it did in the place? Do we have a misunderstanding of certain regions? Uh, I think that when you look at the New York market, a lot of uh, the success in wine is the importer that brings it in. I see. You've got some wines that are very famous in New York and that have you cannot find in Paris. Mm -hmm. So it's not exactly the same, uh, I would say, the same markets. So you're saying you can't find them in Paris because they're not particularly popular there, not because they're super rare. Uh, yeah, because they're not popular or the winemaker decided, found the wineries decided to do export mm -hmm. or they're really outdated uh -huh, in Paris. Okay. It's not the That's thing not that the... young kids are looking for. Uh -huh. uh, there's a pretty huge natural wine scene in France. And uh, and you see a lot, of course, all these, from, it's cost maybe in the Corbière 7,000 euro for an hectare of vine when it's going to cost in Burgundy uh, 70,000, mm -hmm. uh, depending on the village. So you have a lot of... Uh, young, proactive, uh, very organic uh, winemakers uh, starting their own wineries in the Languedoc and the Roussillon. Because so it's an area they can get into with fairly 
a little build out in exactly. terms of cost. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's going to be a hotbed in the next, say, 15 years in terms of uh, wineries developing there that we should be keeping an eye out for? Well, it's definitely going to be uh, inexpensive wines. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of these guys also declassify in Vin de France, so you don't have anything to compare I see. to it. Um, you can, it, you'll never dethrone all of the, the top wineries of Burgundy and Jura and Loire, but it's also, it's, uh, for me, it was a way to start. I wanted to find wines that had a more democratic approach. Uh-huh. I was selling a lot at Wildman of Burgundy of really expensive wines, which was great sure, commission wise. Yeah. I mean, they have Rousseau and they have Catiar and they have uh, Mayo Camusé and all of those. And those wines are delicious. They're delicious. But, uh, on an everyday basis, uh, they're not that easy to access. So my idea behind starting an import company was to bring in wines that my friends or I could buy on a daily basis that would be, you know, between $15 and $30 on a shelf. You know, $30 even for an everyday wine might be a little bit expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's hard in, in the U.S. to find, because of the three-tier system, a, a $15, $16, $18 wine that is actually quaffable and that doesn't look like a stereotype of a of a made-up wine and something that had a little bit of soul and life and zip and that you enjoy drinking. Not commercial. It's yeah. hard to find a low-priced wine that's not commercial that you can drink regularly for exactly. a low price. Yeah. Do you think that there's just a different uh, understanding of the culture of wine for thirst in Europe than in America? Sometimes I hear about uh, Vin de Sof or wines, glue glue, like wines that are just made for everyday drinking, whereas sometimes in the New York scene, I feel like everything is stratified as towards its relation to greatness as opposed to drinkableness. Yes. Um, do you think there's a difference or am I just making that up? I know you're, you're I think it's, uh, I think you're right. Uh, in in France, it's more about the people want to enjoy. You know, you're uh-huh. sitting down with your bottle of wine. It costs $20 on the table, and you're just drinking and enjoying. The The fact is people in France don't make as much money or don't spend as much money as you can in the U.S., in New York. On wine. And, yeah, exactly. So uh, Burgundy is definitely not an everyday or an every week wine mm-hmm. that you have. It's more of a, a particular treat, whereas in New York, I remember, and dinners and all that, there would be DRC flyings and mm-hmm. great burgundies it's just a different scene in france where you have uh, more of your everyday quaffable carbo uh not always memorable but something to quench the thirst yeah something juicy and nice and that's not really looked down upon like in other words if someone's drinking a wine like that they don't think to themselves no you'll uh, actually reach out with a glass and say could you please pour me one right yeah exactly okay because sometimes i i wonder if that uh divergence kind of hinders us from understanding what's actually happening in France or in Italy in terms of winemaking, uh, because we're we're putting it on some sort of hierarchical thing towards perfection, where it's more meant for drinkability. Well, it's it's very hard. Sometimes I brought in, you know, like when I bring in the, the $9 wholesale wine, of course, it's not going to be... Uh, Einstein, or if it's not going to be a, a real reflect, a reflection of intelligence and philosophy, and you're not going to talk about this bottle for two hours, you're just going to sip it and drink it. Uh, is it low alcohol somewhat a part of that too? Like, are, do we see people moving towards more accessible wines that are at low alcohol points? Well, you have, you have all of the, you find some bottles in the long duck at 12.5. Really? So all the you, way in the south? Yeah. So you need, you know that in this case, it's been like a little bit carb, on carbo. Mm-hmm, the wine's mm-hmm. made like this to keep it lighter. Uh, I don't bring in too many wines that are uh, made in carbo, uh, just because I find that the New York markets, they, 
if they can't identify the terroir, if they can't identify the grape variety, uh, they'll diss it a little bit. I see. I've sitting in front of uh, some... Um, so you're saying semi-carbonic or carbonic maceration can can get in the way of the classic Burgundian idea of terroir. Exactly, and, 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 it, and it's often difficult. I've sat in front of a sommelier sometimes and offered them those bottles, and they're like, well, that, that's part of this natural wine foo-foo. I uh -huh, can't feel uh -huh. the terroir. I don't know where it comes from, the grape. I'm like, well, it's nine bucks. It's right. tasty and juicy. Right. Do you like it or not? Mm -hmm. Or do you want a, a sulfur bomb? You know, I can also find this for you. For but, uh, but you're, quite a bit more. What, uh, quite a bit more, and... Uh, and also the next day is so much more pleasant when you've got those low alcohol wines. It just makes for a nicer evening with friends and a, and a great morning of productiveness. So what are some of the other producers you're bringing in and where are they from in France? Uh, well, the, the, my big surprise was uh, when I was working at Wildman, I worked with Stéphane Tissot. We both started sure. at the same time in January of 06. And each time he would come in the market, I would require request the the work was we'd run all around new york and we just got along very well yeah i uh, went to visit him many times in the jura i've got this fascination for that region uh -huh. it is able as well as in history in winemaking types uh you know savagnin could be dressed in many ways uh i thought it was really interesting and uh, that was really, I was really sad of uh, leaving Wildman for that reason. I couldn't maybe sell his wines, mm -hmm. uh, but I was okay with that. And uh, when I told Stefan I started my own company, we're just chatting in November. He was like, Camille, I want to come on board. I'm like, wow. are you nuts? Because it's a fairly high volume. I mean, he makes a fair amount of wine. Well, he's for got 42 hectares, uh, all um, Ecosertes et en biodynamie. Uh -huh. and, uh, and he told me, well, Honestly, you've always been selling my wines. Uh, I'd love to go with you. You understand them better. And he was a little bit frustrated because he makes about 31 cuvées. Yeah. Probably have another one on the road as we're talking. And, um, and he was frustrated because he only had five skews that were autopilots and he just makes so much different wines. So I'm like, great. Let's work together. And, um, so he was part of the, uh, January 15th palette when I started uh, the company. Mm -hmm. uh, his wine was on board. And since then, I think we've uh, whisked through 16 different of his wines. So on the creative side, he's super happy. Uh, I get to keep all the sommeliers interested because, well, yeah, he makes uh, seven different Chardonnay de terroir. And it's interesting, I think, for someone who's remotely not very close to the Jura, it's about 6,000 kilometers from here, to have someone bring in all of the different, so this is from the Triad, this is from the Lia, this is from the Bejocien, uh, different types, put them next to each other, have 15 cases of that wine come in, then move into another one. So that sounds great, exciting. actually. Because I don't think a lot of people are familiar with the Chardonnay terroirs of the Jura, and they do seem different. Well, the... Uh, one of the first, it was in 97 that Stéphane uh, started making uh, Chardonnay de Terroir along with Julien Labbé, uh, one of his good friends who's down in Rotelier next to Ganva. Yeah, I didn't know that they were friends. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the Jura is probably the most friendly place you will ever find. These are people that have very little, but they're always sharing. And I don't know if you remember that um, that nice tasting we had uh, in New York for a few years where you had the Jurassic Park invasion, 21 uh -huh. winemakers from I that do. region. Yeah. And that was great. And you, you'd see in the room, you know, can you tell me another region in France where you just have all those winemakers get together and do a trade show without fearing, you know, that someone will take from the competition and go, it's more about sharing and, uh, 
and, and showing because the Jura, let's face it, it's not a, it's maybe less than 10,000 hectares mm -hmm. of a region. Mm -hmm. I'm even probably extra, yeah, extra sizing the region. Um, voilà. He's someone that seems to me to be especially gregarious, Stefan Tissot, in a, in a way that, like, I think other uh, kind of more iconoclastic figures have gotten a lot of cultish regard, but he seems to actually make wines that have uh, changed a lot of people's perception of the Jura in terms of how it's uh, altered in the last, say, five, six, seven years. Absolutely. He works more in a reductive style than oxidized. Yeah. So, and there's always also... Uh, a wine to start in. I'm not going to start you on the vin jaune or the houillet. No, let's start you on the crémant, you know, for the... Which is for, delicious. Well, like for, the, for, the, for the hipsters, for the sippers, for the people who don't have the money to pay uh, champagne prices. Uh -huh. It's a good way to start. And well, then the, the indigène is really good. Indigène. Like, as a, as a serious wine. It's, the, but the crémant indigène, I think it's... Uh, I, well, he uses basically his vin de paille. And so the, oh, I didn't it's, know that. And so there is no uh, inoculated yeast. He yeah. calls it indigène because it's indigenous yeast. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy that he was able to get, um, he has a hang on the, the fermentation, the bubbles and everything. It's, uh, it does pretty well. I actually brought two bottles of this in my suitcase from, uh, from Paris to try and pre-sell it and see what is the move, how do people like it. The way I operate also, each time I bring in a new winery, I first put it in my suitcase and fly it over. Uh, first of all, if the wine is able to travel in that super high altitude, oh, right. freezing cold uh, luggage uh, of the plane. I place. hope you're sitting in coach to really give it the, the full experience. The full experience. Well, he's know. sitting just below me, <laughs> okay. and, and, and right. it's a, and it's about two degrees. And uh, and I go out three days after. I let the wine rest for a week when I get to New York, and then I'll go and sample it because you have so many wines that are. I bring in more. I hate that word, but. Uh, a lot of natural and organic wines. Mm -hmm. So there's basically very little sulfur or no sulfur at all in mm -hmm. most of the wines. So some of them just don't like to travel. I did the experience once or twice, and I'm glad I flew it with me and tasted people on it before I put $5,000 in a container. Yeah, that's a smart tip, actually. That's and it also, it's and it's part of the fun experience of I'm starting this company with also uh, somebody, with my clients. You know, if they like it, because at the end of the day, they're the one who are calling the shots. If they like the wine and they give me the feedback, uh, it's kind of nice to create that company with my customers. I hear you. It seems like that's um, there has been a lot of support for your for your company from the community. Uh, people have been super generous. It's uh, It's been nice. So let's talk a little bit about how we got here. Uh, you worked for Wildman for a bit, and then you were uh, also in retail before that and did some restaurant work. Uh, how would you tell that story? Um, so I did uh, in Ecole Hôtelière in Paris for three years. And in those uh, schools, you have to do a lot of internships. So I was a, a chef in England in a three-star restaurant in West Yorkshire. I was about. Oh, you say that quite well for West Yorkshire, lovey. <laughs> Woo! It was like six months of. Um, I don't know. I was in Paris. I was always partying. It was. Uh, I always had fun. I wanted to know if I could be on my own in a really uh, monastic retreat. So I went to uh -huh. be a chef up there. Uh, that was enough. I wasn't ready for countryside, but a good experience. Another internship was. What is Yorkshire pudding, by the way? I've never. Uh, Figured it Stay out. away from this. Oh yeah, haggis is probably the most vile thing after Yorkshire oh, pudding. Oh yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> are they are they related? Is there haggis? In? Uh, they're related about three hundred kilometers. So oh, you okay. should stay yeah, away from from it. both of them. Okay, <laughs> I never quite understood. 
Um, and then I did. Uh, I was a assistant food and beverage manager in a four star hotel in Paris at l'Hôtel du Louvre. Um, in all of my internships, basically, I was always close to wine, but I had no clue I could be doing that. And so I decided to. Uh, I know I was hanging with a girlfriend uh, in Paris who had done uh, who was doing one of these uh, summer internships in a law firm. And she had been wine and dine at this company called Morel. I'm like, what oh, is oh, it? Okay. It's just, I was just looking for a way to, A, get out of Paris, go to New York and work in wine. And I'm like, okay, that's a good trip. I did not know anything about those people, but I emailed them and uh, I did my, an internship with them. I helped uh, Peter Morel work on the Bordeaux 2003 uh, campaign. And as a study or research, I would do... I would went all over the big retail stores in New York to basically see what was the Bordeaux 2003 market and also looking at what was the picture, what was New York about. Because I remember that, that vintage was on the cover of The Spectator uh, in terms of, it had some press behind it. It was, it was insane. People were buying it by the boatload and French were really true? happy because no one in France wanted the 03 vintage. It was way too warm. Right. It was really hot for those who didn't hear that mm -hmm. already. It was one of the hottest years ever in continental Europe, but the press on Bordeaux in 03 in this country was was was, was huge. Was pretty big. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, talk about big big wines and big fruit. Exactly, and so that was a good way to start in New York. Um, worked for him for two years for Peter. Uh, I, I took care of their website. I did e-commerce. I had no, oh, okay. qual no qualification for that, but anything you threw at me, I would say, yes, please. Thank you. That's how we approach the podcast as well. Uh. <laughs> Similar requirements. That's good. Um, and then, uh, basically working retail is interesting, uh, but you don't make a dime. I was sick of my $30,000 a year living yeah. on air mattresses in, uh, in the end of Brooklyn and having a uh -huh. budget of $1.20 for lunch and going to Dynasty Supermarket in Chinatown for my grocery shopping. Uh, and I looked at all these importers that were walking in. And of course, you had working at Morel, you know, you have all of the high-end uh, salespersons for all these company. And uh, Robin Hirschberg from, uh, from um, Wildman looked really nice. So he seemed I, to wear some nice shoes. So yeah. you're like, hey, I'm like, he's okay. not shopping at Dynasty. I don't see that guy there. <laughs> That, that looks like some Whole Foods diet to me. Uh, that's funny. And so, yeah, I went to interview with Peter Asher at the time. And I'm like, hello, Mr. Peter, I would like a job. And he looked at me like, why would I hire you? I said, well, yeah. if you don't hire me, I'll go and work for Southern. That's a good reason enough. And he's like, right. okay. And, uh, Is that what you said? That was the trick? Well, yeah. I, and I, at first, I told him I wanted a half a million dollar run and only four-star hotels and restaurants. Oh, so no problem. And, yeah. and he looked at me and was like, what do you, who do you think you are? I'm right. like, well, my name is Camille. I'm French. I have no family here. I'm here to work and I'm here to stay. I'll sweat. I'll do everything. I'll grow your market, but just give me something good to chew on. And so, yeah, I started there, uh, started in January. So really hard. You're in the streets. It's snowing. You don't know anyone. Doors are slamming in front of you. But uh, after seven months of hard work, it started getting easier and five years, uh, found, yeah, I did it for five years. So it was fun. We traveled. Uh, there was a good company culture. Um, they all seem like they're in a good mood when I run into someone from Wildman. They all seem like good guys, and they're all happy to be around. And yeah, exactly. And uh, no one seems like downtrodden and miserable, like mm -hmm. you sometimes you encounter. Sometimes, you know. Sometimes. Well, that's the, that's the happy face you show on the street. But most of the time, it was always like this. It was a good company to work with. I feel like it's a company that drinks together still, even though it's a fairly big company. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, true? we would like at least once a week, you know, we'd do a winemaker would come in town. We'd go out and uh, all spend a good time together. Um, 
so yeah, that was a that was a great family to have for five years, and uh, I just for the uh, I just needed something else. I wasn't learning anything in New York. I knew how to sell wine. I could even sell wine sleeping horizontally on my bed for and just work two hours on my computer. And I was like, come on, you're 30 years old. You know, you can't spend your life doing this. And uh, I was Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You get bored, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I was also looking at the other women in the industry. Uh, and it looked like something really hard to do. To me, I didn't find my balance anymore in New York. Uh, I come from Paris. I grew up in part-time in the Loire Valley. I have a house in Genière. Oh, okay. Uh, and to me, it was I needed to be in the nature, more close to the vineyards, uh -huh. learn about wine. So I flew back, and uh, I'm very happy that friends like Zev pushed me to start uh, my import company. So what are the pluses and minuses of the New York wine scene versus the, the Loire or Paris wine scene? Um, when I come to New York, I must admit, I drink beer and cocktails uh -huh. because wines are just too expensive for me, I think. Uh -huh. Well, that's uh, an interesting point. And also, you've got a great cocktail culture in uh, in New York, and the beers are really tasty and delicious. In France, I've got 1664, and it's difficult. Though you have a lot of, uh, of breweries opening. The other day, I was driving by the Jura, and we stopped at this uh, brewery called La Franche. And you've got all these artisanal people arising coming up. But yeah, I, I wanted mean, to import beer, but it's like a, such a different, like, if you want to put in your portfolio cider, it's complicated with the TTB and the labeling and the alcohol percentage and the beer. So maybe I'll stick to wine for the moment, but, uh, but I'm interested in bringing in beers. Uh, so yeah, so to come back to your questions on the wine scene in New York compared to the wine scene in France, uh, at France, there seems to be a lot of, of natural wine. I didn't know a lot about natural or organic wines, uh, when I was working at Wildman, it was not a lot in a portfolio. Well, no, they were basically two real people in the portfolio. It was Tissot and La Stopa, and the other ones right, were were, do, were doing organic and or Lut Raisonné and all of those things. But I didn't feel the, the the life I have in those wines. And coming back to Paris, it's basically all the wine bars. That's what you're going to be drinking. That's what's offered. That's what's everywhere. That's the and, norm. And a bottle of wine never cost more than 35 euros. A glass of wine cost four or six. So uh, coming back from New York where they were commanding super high prices, I just went bonkers and crazy. So every day in June when I landed in Paris, I would go to a different restaurant, different wine bar or uh, different wine shops, looking around, seeing what they have. And it's been a really fun year of learning, basically. Uh, that's the reason why I came back uh, to France. It's to move around, go around, learn more, seek out winemakers, even the ones that I couldn't taste that were with other importers. So it was fun to do that. And it's, I still enjoy it a lot. Um, in terms of the New York scene, you kind of were at Wildman for five years and you worked for uh, them in liaison with a lot of top restaurants, like you kind of spoke about. How has the wine buyer scene in New York changed uh, over the last few years? Have you seen any differences in uh, the role of the sommelier before or what's coming up these days? Well, let's face it, today a sommelier is very close to being a rock star. You know, like I uh -huh. thought, I think it started with the chefs. The chefs were rock stars now. The sommeliers, it's considered to be this extremely glamorous job and they have a lot of press and interviews and that I think is great. So more people are listening to them. We kind of divert from a more traditional wine list, traditional regions. There's a lot of young people, also younger mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of rotation. 
and they seem to bring in their ideas and stick behind them. So I find it interesting to go in restaurants and you don't have any more, you don't always have that very classical stand on wine list mm -hmm. and you can find some more quirky things. What's going on with sommeliers in, in Paris? I mean, I, I think a lot of times people think of certain stereotypes with Parisian sommeliers, but the wine bar scene seems pretty casual. What, 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 what's going on? I could tell you a little bit about it because, um, I am working also in Paris. I, uh, I, I work as a wine agent, so I go and sell wine to restaurants. Uh, and so over there, it's, they don't have sommeliers like they have here. Uh, most of the time it's the restaurant owner or it's the chef, uh, who, who buys the wine. At the wine bar level. Uh, at the wine bar, yeah, in, in high-end restaurants. I haven't dined that much in high-end restaurants, but they all seem to, Pretty open, actually, very quite similar to what New York is, except in France, you've got a lot of French wine. We're starting to get a little bit of Italian wine. Is that true? Also, historically, it's been somewhat of a closed market. It's been closed, but uh, I, uh, I'm an agent for uh, in Paris for uh, Occhipinti. Oh, wow. Uh, you guys must get along great. That must be a great conversation to be a fly on the wall for. I have not yet met her, Ariana, but uh, I'm looking forward to it someday. Um, so yeah, work with those Maole, uh, Bera, um, oh, okay. Panevino. He's kind say. of the kingpin of natural wine in Italy. Exactly, yeah. He's the one who, the pizza guy who started it. And also Panevino. Uh, Panevino's the pizza guy, right? Uh, he's, a, I think he was a bread maker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A bread maker. And Maole was a pizza maker. I he was? Know. Yeah, I think. I didn't know that. He had a pizzeria and he had friends bring him wine that was, uh, and he's like, I could do wine like this. And oh, yeah? And he sold his pizzeria. Oh, I did not know that. that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's starting to open up. Uh, it's definitely not the sommeliers. I think in Paris are more set on their ideas, and in New York they're very open and thirsty. Uh, they don't have also this proximity with the vineyard, so I think the relationship maybe with an importer is a little different. Uh -huh. Whereas in Paris, you know, you're talking to a wine buyer uh, about Jura, and you're 300 kilometers from him, so he could very quickly go direct oh, okay. and skip you. Um, so I think it's evaluating in Paris, but it's. I still think that the most interesting uh, buyers are in New York uh -huh. because of what they bring, from what people bring to them, and the, the capacity. Also, the restaurants here in New York, you know, it's you can have three hundred, four hundred covers a day, sure, and that's definitely different from There's a the lot of bottles open. Voilà. It's different from the a restaurant in Paris. You know, when you sit down, you sit down for the evening mm -hmm. and you probably have 40 tables. So it's much smaller. That's an interesting point. So because of the the less volume, there's less things open to taste. And yeah. you think that affects palate? Yeah, and it also affects the the the, the cellar, oh, the size of the cellar. Great uh -huh. cellars in Paris restaurant, but they're just more small. The Everything is more confined. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So you talked a little bit about the differences in importer uh, relationships in New York versus Paris. Um, what do you see in the importer scene? What's important to you? You're starting a new business. You chose to name that business after yourself. Do you, uh, do you think it's important to bring a personal stamp to an import business or what is or is not important? Well, I, as a, as a wine shopper, when I go in the store, you know, I always turn a bottle and look who is the importer. Okay. So I think that's important. You know, if I see Rosenthal in a bottle, I'll close my eyes and I'll walk directly to the to the till and say thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's important to just to build your personality and 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 trust and always have a consistency also with the wines you bring in. So in order to, to build uh, 
your name and network, mm-hmm. I think. So what are some of those things that are important to you in terms of what, what are the core principles of, of that consistency that you're thinking about? I have to be able to drink a, an entire bottle without being bored. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think that's a tough test to pass. It doesn't sound like much. It, but it that's... is. It is so fucking difficult. The yeah. worst is to buy white wine, because you often the white wine doesn't allow any flaws. You know, it's not like in red wine where it's a little bit easier to make. I think. Uh, so when you're in a when you're you're tasting in all those um, all those big tastings outside of Paris. It, it's really hard. You have 120 wines. You have to power through them because you're there just for a day or two days. And and finding the the, the right balanced wines, it's uh, it's not always easy. So it's a lot of tasting. I think I'm I might be tasting a new winery every day and finding something that is available that would travel uh, that have enough production. You also have to have in front of you uh, a winemaker that logistically can follow up with you. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys I've been working with never were imported in the U.S. before. Mm-hmm. So you have to set them up, FDA, back labels, uh, timing. And it's not always easy with those artists I deal with. Like Stéphane Tissot is easy. He has 15 people working at the winery with him, and he's really well organized. He ships wine to Sweden and everywhere. But most of my guys, basically, they, they sell in France only. And so... Sometimes I have to drive down and put the back labels on the pa- on the bottles and help them make the palette. And uh, it's always an opportunity to snatch a few old vintage and uh, have a nice dinner with them. You talked a little bit about uh, carbonic and semi-carbonic and the kind of new trends or you know evolving trends in terms of winemaking we see in France that maybe we see less of here or is branded as natural wine. Um, do you have any recommendations for pairing that with food, or how is it usually enjoyed there? Those kinds of wines. This is a broad generalization. Yeah. Um, so in restaurants in Paris, it's mostly it's the food. I think is is pretty simple. It's mostly about the 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 product. You know, the sausages of Monsieur Chavassieux, the butter of uh, Bordier, and so everything is pretty clean in terms of food. You don't have sauces. You don't have mixes, um, and so it's. It's pretty. It's easier, I think, to to find a wine to pair with the with the food because you're just with um, a natural wine juice purity, and you're also facing with a, a food that has a, a lot of taste. So I I don't know how to I say to to pair it. It's a how do you do that when you're similar? You know, you see a bottle of wine, and you afterwards you think like, okay, what can I have it with? Fair enough. Yeah, I just, I guess, I mean, now that we see wines are a little bit more approachable, younger, and a little bit fruitier in terms of carbonic, I wonder if that kind of changes things at all. In terms that of- helps a lot, actually. That was, I, I was thinking, you know, this Fauger I bring in, the mm-hmm. Clofantine. So the Cuvée Courciol is 100% Mourvèdre. And usually when it's more traditionally made, like uh, Epibarnon and all mm-hmm. of those, but you need at least to wait 10 years ten before years. you're able to take your saw and, sure. and and break through the wine. And with those more natural approach, and the Clofantine does not do a semi-carbonic or if they do traditional vinification, though I find, I don't know if it's because of her viticulture, but the wines are just easy to enjoy and drink right away, which on an import side is nice to bring in wines that are ready to drink. Do you think that the wine industry is increasingly moving in that direction? In terms of uh, not selling things for long periods of time, both in terms of uh, the consumer and the producer? I think no one today uh, 
not a lot of people have the opportunity or chance or luxury of storing wine. Um, winemakers, they have only that much place in their cellars. Um, an importer, I'm not a library. Uh, a restaurant, you've got your 30 days to make your inventory rotates. And uh, I don't know a lot of consumers in New York who have a wine cellar. So it actually makes for a more enjoyable um, drinking experience. The other day we, we popped, I had a bottle of, of Burgundy, a, a 2010, and you just open it up and it's not ready to drink. Mm -hmm. So I think it um, just makes more justice to the wine to be able to drink it when it's ready. And if it's ready right away, better off. So we talked a, a little bit about the career part of how you got into the business. What were some of the revelations you had with just wine? Like, uh, how did you fall into the wine side or did you fall into it? Um, well, you always have that bottle that make you switch. And I think me, it was a bottle of Clos Rougeard. Uh, when I oh, was really? wow. when I was in New York, uh, in New York, because you're from the Loire. Uh, yeah, but when I was in France, it was not that much about. Uh, when I was 22 years old. Uh, I'd like wine, but I, I really didn't have access. I mostly learned about wine in New York, being French. So that was a uh, that was the funny part. That's also why I wanted to come back here and start my company in the U.S. Uh, it was also the wine. It's a family thing. I remember when I was 10 years old at. Uh, at the table, we always had a you know a wine in in box. So oh, okay. you so you had to take the carafe, go to the cellar, and, uh, and take the juice and bring it back to the table. So that was always my my job. Uh, when I was 16 years old, also my mother thought I was drinking a lot, so she decided to sign me up to um, uh, an enology class oh, with really? uh, Philippe Forbrac and uh, Jean Luc Puteau. Wow. These guys are like best sommeliers in the world in '93 or. 85. And uh, so she was thinking that if I learn how to drink good wine, I'll drink less. Right. She was right. That's been the, the curve for me. Uh-huh. Um, you get picky. You, you know? get Actually, you get very picky. It's hard now. Some, so many times I find myself in dinners or I have to bring in my two bottles, you yeah. know, one you share and one you keep next to you. Oh, you do. Or, 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 or you drink water. I, I can't go to those weddings anymore where you have to go on gin and tonic because the things they serve you are just gross. Yeah, weddings are the worst. The, weddings and ball games in terms of enforced drinking, <laughs> like what you have available, it's available. just not that great. And um, yeah, I also was... Um, Basically, when I was 17, I would skip school and go to tastings. I didn't know anything. I was just self-taught. So I lived in, I went to school in Neuilly and Porte Champeret, uh, which is 10-minute bike ride. They have this Salon des Vins Indépendants. Uh, a lot of crap, maybe some good things. But I remember taking notes and just tasting and uh, trying and figuring it, uh, figuring the wines out. And I still have those tasting notebooks. They're funny to read through. Um, so that's how I got into the wine thing. And it was always linked, hotel management. Uh, I, I knew that was a path to get to wine. Because in France, if you're women, if you're young, and if your family is not in the wine industry, your chances of working in the wine industry besides uh, sticking labels on bottles or being the secretary uh, to a macho 50-year-old something men were not very great. So I decided to uh, to move to the, the U.S. in order to work in the wine industry. I said, oh, maybe my French edge will help. And, uh, Seems and like it worked out pretty well. Voila. Do yeah. You, do you think it is still challenging for women in, in New York, though? Not at all. Yeah. No. Easy? No, it's mm. easy. It's the, it's the same. It's really a, an equal grounds, I think. Cool. So what's a good day for you in terms of opening up a bottle or making a sale? I mean, what's what is 
what is your definition of, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. What's the important part? Uh, well, when I come to New York, which is every two months for two weeks, uh, when the wine, when some of the wine lands or when it's the key time of the year to be here, uh, I'd say I have about uh, 10 appointments lined up. And uh, I leave at eight o'clock in the morning and just bring the wines to people, sit down, have little pieces of terroir uh, with me in my pocket, schist and clay and limestones. Oh, you do? You bring some rocks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Must be a heavy bag. Everybody licks the rock, you know, say, really? wow, it's so mineral, you know. And I'm like, no, yeah, the guy before on. you did it. Oh. <laughs> um yeah, and, and just seeing the reactions, uh, how people get into those wines. Are they excited? Uh, have their feedback from it. So it's almost like sharing that, those some of those things that you were talking about when you first got into wine with mm -hmm. other people. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the, the give back thing. And also... Uh, all of those, most of actually those uh, New York sommeliers, because I'm based in, in Paris, sure. they come, they go to Burgundy every year or right. they, they go in France. And so the fact of being able to get them in Paris and we go to restaurants. Have so a good time. It, yeah, it's, it's about sharing and exchanging. You know, you're not doing this job to be a millionaire. I mm -hmm. would have kept being a sales rep at Wildman and doing my six digits and mm -hmm. from my bed if I could have done that, uh, if I wanted that life, actually. Um but yeah, I think the interaction with my buyers and just traveling and around the city and seeing those wines uh, popping up, being on wine list, people ordering. I also put my uh, email behind all of my bottles. Yeah, that seems smart. And it seems unusual that so many people don't. There's uh, really no contact information on so many back labels. Yeah, well, actually, if you go onto my website, it says still fermenting. It's probably going to be a vengeance of a website. Because uh, <laughs> really uh, I do everything on my own and I just don't have any time for that. Or maybe I don't put my energy in that. I'd rather go sailing in L'Ile de Ré than sure. uh, spending a week on the, in the month you. of August working on a website. And... Um, so yeah, it's the exchange with uh, with people, and I have consumers who buy the bottle, and I get emails almost every week of people who've enjoyed a bottle, and it's nice because oh, all that, of, it's that's fun for the instant feedback. Like, yeah. hey, we like this, and we're sending you an email, which often you can't do. Exactly, you have to do a couple steps to find that address. Address, and it's, yeah, it's a direct. You know, I like bringing also the story from the winemaker directly to the to the sommelier, so you don't have any. Uh, but you can have a full story and explain everything and answer a question. It makes it just more uh, lively mm -hmm. and uh, makes it for a curious and nice experience, well, I think, for me and for the, the sommelier. I have no doubt that those experiences will continue to grow, and I look forward to hearing about all your success in the coming years. Thank you so much. Merci, Lévy. Bonne journée. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Lévy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.